there's no there's no substitute for experience. But I would say anything you want to do, whether it's a business or investing in real estate or stocks or something, know your subject inside and out and challenge your beliefs. Figure out um, who disagrees with the path you're taking and talk to those people. Find out what's wrong with what you're thinking and 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 if you can bolster what you what you believe in the face of of you know their legitimate criticism, more power to you. Don't stick your head in head in the sand and avoid criticisms of the path you're taking. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All righty, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 168. Jace, happy new year again. I think we said that last time, but what's going on? Anything new? Ready for 2021? Yeah, man. Ready for 2021. Just uh, getting the year started here. Obviously, January for for both of us really is a super busy time, but this year is a little bit more busy than normal, but ready to get back in the swing of things and, and kind of get rolling with 2021. By you, yeah. Since since we're both accountants, really, or at least for our day jobs, this is some of the busier time, right? End of year accounting work. So, unfortunately, that's what we're getting into here. But yeah, everything everything going for good for me. Looking forward to twenty twenty one. I think overall it'll be a good year. Excited for it. Excited for where things are headed with the podcast as well. So yeah, excited for the year. We were just talking. I, I just came across something today, and this is just a poll I saw on the internet. About two hundred and fifty people responded to it. Um, and the question posed is, excluding those with pensions, so people that don't have pensions when they retire, how much do you believe you'll need to save in order to retire with a moderate lifestyle? So, And they describe moderate lifestyle, single family home, a couple of cars, one or two family vacations, et cetera. Um, and 250 people respond to this question, how much do you think you need in retirement? About 60% of the people that responded said you need between one and two million dollars. So 30% said two million and about 30% said one to 1.5 million. So that means about 60% of the people that respond to this poll think you can retire with about 40 to 80,000 if you follow the 4% withdrawal rate on the one to two, two and a half million, about 40 to 80,000 a year in expenses. What do you think about that? You know, that's, it's interesting. One, I think that that number has come up on our podcast a lot of, multiple times, right? That two to 2.5 number and using the Trinity study, which is the the 4% withdrawal rule, although there's some debate about that recently, maybe being closer to 3%. But that number, that 80 grand is basically where experts and pollsters and, and a bunch of professionals in, in the space have said that that is the optimal level of happiness, that 75 to 80 grand number. And you and I have had discussions multiple times just for, you know, our lives and whatnot. If you do have everything paid off, say you have a paid for house, you live in a fairly low cost of living area, so your property taxes aren't 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 ridiculous. I think for two people without any kids, I mean that that gives you a pretty pretty good life. You figure like, hey, I got paid off cars, transportation. I'm not really driving to and from the office. I don't have to go buy new clothes all the time because I, you know, quite frankly, I'm not dressing up and doing all these kinds of things, putting wear and tear on 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 clothing. And, you know, to feed two people, it's it's not astronomical. 
you know so i think that's i think that's probably a, a you know for depending on what your purpose is and what where you want to go i mean that's not outrageous yeah. to, to get to that point yeah i just thought it was interesting and and then on the flip side about 10% of the people said you could retire with less than a million and 10% people said over 4 million but the the main chunk of people about a million to 2 to 2.5 so that seemed to be the sweet spot at least in this poll and anyway just kind of interesting about 250 people took that. Just wanted to read a review that we got on iTunes. If you enjoy the show, we appreciate good reviews. It helps us continue to grow the show and, and get out there. This one is from C-Mac Hap. C-Mac Hap, Jace, you know who that is? I don't know who that is. I am a DR fan, Dave Ramsey fan, and found your podcast via one of the Dave Ramsey Facebook pages. I love getting more of the backstory than what Dave Ramsey does on his Millionaire Theme Hour shows. Nice to hear how people accumulated their wealth, the road they took, and their insights. I do enjoy the fact that you guys ask some of the same questions, but we get way more info as there is way less of a time crunch. Uh, Listening to other stories motivates me to work harder to increase my net worth. Thanks for a great product. So thanks for that, CMATCAP, and thanks for everybody who tunes in and shares uh, reviews and, and leaves them on whatever platform you listen to. We really appreciate that. Just as a quick synopsis, uh, last week we had Neil. He he was a big multifamily investor. We get into multifamily, how his investments and collections and expenses have been impacted by COVID. Uh, he has a current net worth of over $5 million, so that was interesting to hear from him. On today's episode, we have a fun interview with David. He currently works as a police officer. He spent eight years in, in the Marines. After the Marines, he went into corporate America and became a police officer after that and has since started investing in real estate. He also invests in gold and silver. He mentions he doesn't totally trust the markets, but has about 300000 in market investments. So interesting, fun interview coming up with him. Apologize for some of the background uh, thing. We were trying to edit that out as much as we can. Thanks for tuning in week after week. If you're interested in some multifamily or commercial syndication investments and you're a accredited investor, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to connect. Love to connect with any of our listeners. So feel free to reach out. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also the same if you'd like to be on the show. So happy new year to everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us since 2021. This will be about year, what, Jace, three and a half of the podcast here coming up on 170 episodes. This is 168. So here we go. Please help me welcome David to the show. David, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Sure. I have uh, spent a lot of time in the Marine Corps, eight years in the Marine Corps, got out of that, went to corporate America, where I spent about a decade chasing dollars, um, got my butt kicked in the recession. I went from uh, about worth being worth about 600K to negative 200K within about a year. Learned a lot of lessons from that, especially that uh, money didn't make me happy, but I sure liked having it. Since then, I've become a uh, police officer in the Bay Area. Love my job. Gotten further into real estate, shifted from uh, investing in single family to multifamily. And uh, big fan of gold and silver. Don't trust the markets. And uh, the last couple of months, the last month or so is uh, has been... Uh, an education in that too. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's get into that. So what's your net worth today? I'm at 2.1. When I reached out to you guys a month ago, it was 2.2. <laughs> oh, so not too bad. I only lost a hundred grand. What's what's the makeup of that? The um, breakdown basically is about 1. Uh, 1.6 million in equity, uh, specifically 1.564, but let's just go 1.6. I've got um, about 230K in precious metals, the actual metal. Um, which I store in two different uh, um, 
offsite vaults. I don't keep it at home. About 300K or so in uh, stocks, IRAs, my pension fund, et cetera. The rest is mostly just cash and then uh, a pretty impressive gun collection, but I didn't really count that. <laughs> That's pretty valuable right now, right? <laughs> so precious metal, is that gold or silver or what's, what's, I mean, you got real gold bars sitting in the safe? Uh, yes, not my safe at home because uh, I'm not a bank and I'd hate to get hit being a, being a police officer. I understand how home invasions work. But uh, specifically, 9,300, 9,400 ounces of silver, 40 of gold, uh, five of platinum, and then a few odds and ends throughout there. But silver is oh, what that. I love, and silver is what I feel, think is going to have a uh, its day in the sun. Yeah, you got the whole <laughs> the whole gamut there. So 1.5, that's the or 1.6, that's equity in real estate. Correct. Uh, okay. 41 units, all in uh, North Florida, uh, Tallahassee, Gainesville, and Daytona is where I invest. And is that all single family or multifamily? All multis. I uh, did single family from about 2004 on, sold my last one. God, I think it was 2017. Uh, rather, I, I bought a bunch in 2004, held them through the crash in Vegas, bought some more, some foreclosures, and then recently transitioned over to multifamily uh, starting in uh, in 2017 and acquired 41 since then, 41 units. Wow. So what's what's kind of the the breakup of those units? Is it like a tenplex and a twentyplex, and then a couple smaller ones, or or you got a bunch of fourplexes, or what's what's kind of the the breakup there? In Tallahassee, I've got a uh, a sixteen unit complex and a, a smaller six unit that's kind of a a triplex with some single families all on the same plot. Um, functions as a six unit though, an eightplex in uh, Gainesville, and then in Daytona, a former motel. Uh, that's now kind of like 11 units, a couple little cottages and duplexes all smashed together. It's a it's a weird looking property, but it cash flows nice. Awesome. And then you've got a little bit in the market. Is that in f- index funds, individual stocks, bonds? Predominantly gold miners, uh, about 85% mining companies. Wow. And have you always uh, had that allocation? No, no. I've only recently gotten back into the market. I uh, Among many mistakes I've made, I, I wasn't in the S&P from about 2010 on. And uh, kick myself for it, but you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Only uh, in the last two years or so have I started getting back into the miners a little bit, based on my investment philosophy. Interesting. And what what is kind of the the investment philosophy that you've got now? Um, pretty contrarian. I think our economy has really been pr- the last ten years been propped up with um, you know Fed paper. We've been doing emergency operations, interest rates uh, pushing down for the last 10 years. And when they tried to bring it back, if you recall, we had a couple interest rate increases in late 2018. The market immediately dropped the Dow down to 22,000. It kind of made me realize that the market is, is dependent upon the Fed feeding it with new money and keeping interest rates low. The corollary to that is, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cop in the Bay Area. I have a, a CalPERS pension plan. These pension plans rely upon fixed income assets to uh, to, to to stay afloat, and one percent, point five percent interest rates just demolish them. I think uh, uh, you're seeing that particularly in Illinois right now. They've got all kinds of budgetary and pension problems. Yeah, so it, it's so interesting, right? Because when they the Fed dropped rates now twice, and I remember after the initial drop, I was thinking, you know, I don't why are they dropping it, right? Because it hadn't really dropped. The, the market hadn't crashed that much, right? I think it was down 10% or something, right? 8% maybe. And that now they've really dropped it again, right? Now it's close to zero. And I don't know. I, I worry that at the, when the market keeps going down, what's the Fed going to do now? What's what's the next move? 
right? And and I'm not smart enough to know that either. I mean, I do know they're in many ways out of ammunition, but the next thing is, you know, helicopter money, which they're talking about right now, mailing everybody checks. And and maybe right. that's a function of the virus. Uh, maybe not. I mean, we did, we've done it in the past previously, but um, the one thing I'm certain of is unpayable debts won't be paid. And we're awash in debts in the world today. And if something can't go on forever, it's going to eventually stop. You know, as we approach zero, all kinds of funky stuff happens. You know, I mean, do you want to invest your money at a negative at, at negative uh, 50 basis points, negative negative 100 basis points? I don't. What happens then? You know, it's these third and fourth order um, occurrences that make me worry about what we have now, which is essentially a centrally planned economy. Right. So if somebody, uh, Dave, just back up a little bit. If somebody wants to go buy gold or silver, where do they go? Um, I like to go uh, to uh, find a good broker dealer. Um, predominantly when I'm buying the physical stuff, I will go to um, compareSilverPrices.com. They've got about six or seven different dealers up there. You um, look for one with low premium. You don't want to buy mystics. You don't want to buy stuff that's, uh, you know, have got a, an, ounce of sil- an ounce of gold, say, Say it's worth thirteen hundred, but this one is in really good condition and a good year and rare, so I'm going to charge you two thousand for it. I wouldn't buy that kind of stuff. I would like to uh, buy it close enough to melt value, something that like maybe uh, one and a half percent vig, um, vig. Sorry, one and a half percent premium over the uh, melt value. Um, you want someone who's going to be reliable, and um, all the ones on those sites tend to be. Um, let me think. And then we've all got personal preferences. I mean, for myself, I stick with uh, 100 ounce silver bars and then what's called junk silver, um, pre 1964 uh, federal uh, currency. You know, our goal, our um, quarters, dimes, nickels all used to have silver in them. And then they, they took that out in 64. The reason I like that is it's scarce. It's no one, they're never minting any more of it. And you can kind of get uh, part of the play for me is along with owning that stuff is uh, eventually when people come back to it, as they did in uh, 2009, 2011 and previous years, uh, you can get a better premium for it. Premiums on this stuff that I buy about two months ago was about 2%. Junk silver was about 2% over melt value. Today, it's about 45% over melt value. You can't even find the stuff. Everybody's out of it. That was a long-winded answer to your question. I'm sorry. No, no, I, no, no, no. It's interesting event. because I, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to. I wouldn't know where where to look. I'm sure a lot of listeners wouldn't. I'd probably just go in and and do a Google search, right? Like buy gold and buy silver. So I was just kind of curious from an insider like you where where that would be. Your local coin shop is good too to talk to people. That kind of thing. I mean, but there's also a lot of sharks out there looking to steal your money. And in, in any industry, you know, got them in real estate. I mean, they there's plenty of that too. But yeah, you could. I would recommend any broker on CompareSilverPrices.com or CompareGoldPrices.com. Um, never had a bad experience with any of them, and and really good customer service. And you get what you pay for. And it's 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 been a good a good experience for me. So they just ship it to you once you buy it. Is that how it works? Correct. You buy it, they'll ship it to you, FedEx or UPS, requiring a signature, an adult to sign for it, and then you pop it open, and you'll see um, within their own company, one I just ordered some um, some bags from, they've got tags on it showing the, a cam count on, uh, they've obviously checked, have their own internal systems where they'll check it via camera, check it via weight, make sure they're sending you the right thing, there's no internal fraud, so that when you receive something, um, you can be assured that uh, they know what they're sending you, and there's no uh, no no chance of anything wrong occurring. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's jump into your story here a little bit, Dave, because it's super interesting, right? And obviously, we haven't heard a lot about it just briefly. But talk about you were in Vegas, right, from 2006 to what, 2009-ish, building houses? 
2004 to 2000, let me think, 2000, well, I was in Vegas from 2004 to 2011. I was building houses until about 2008 when uh, the economy blew up. <laughs> okay. And was that your own, your own business? Were you no, 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 no. I was, a, uh, I was a general contractor for Centex Homes, a uh, single family home builder. They were acquired by Pulte Homes, which you guys might be familiar with mm-hmm. um, following the crash. Gotcha, gotcha. And so you had a net worth, you said about six hundred thousand in two thousand six, and then negative two hundred in in two thousand nine. So, what was that invested right, in at the time? Right about there. Yeah, I had a lot of uh, equity. I was buying single family houses and renting them out, along with a stock portfolio. Um, I couldn't give you the exact composition, but I'll tell you during when things crashed, I had four homes each with about about a hundred k, maybe a little more of equity each, and then. Uh, uh, stocks as well, a significant amount there. So about another 200K there. Um, so that, that was basically the makeup though, four homes and uh, a bunch of index funds. So the four houses, I assume one was your primary residence, the other three were rentals. Is that right? I'm sorry. I should say five then. Yeah. One primary okay, residence. Okay. And four, four rentals. Residence. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And so what happened? Did you, did you lose the homes? Were you not able to rent them out? I did not. I um, I was always able to rent them out. Uh, they were worth. Um, the, they were all in the same neighborhood. The neighborhood I was building actually, which uh, was kind of fun. I got to put my own personal touch on my rentals. Uh, at the peak, they were about three fifty. At the low point, they were selling for one twenty. Uh, I always was able to rent them out, uh, cover the mortgage uh, plus maybe a hundred bucks or so. Back in those days, people were very, very exuberant about the market. I had so many people advising me to get an interest-only loan, get those adjustables, um, put as much money in your pocket. I always stuck with 30-year fixed, never took money out of the places just because I was naturally a little bit conservative, not not uh, envisioning anything like what occurred occurring. Um, but then when things did go south, being conservative with my finances paid off. Uh, never had a bankruptcy or a foreclosure. Uh, scraped along for a while, and and then following the crash, started buying foreclosures, fixing them up and renting them, and that kind of evened out uh, the problems I was having, the difficulties. So, how'd you get to negative two hundred thousand net worth if you didn't lose these properties? What to, what, what what was the negative? When you buy them for two forty, and then they go down to one twenty, and you. uh, your stocks go from about two hundred to God sixty, <laughs> somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah but I was, I was, I was, uh, yeah, the note was about, but the note would be, and, and some were no money down because that was allowed at that time. But yeah, yeah, yeah all of them were underwater. So five houses gotcha, underwater. Gotcha. So netted, um, okay, you owed more than they were worth. Yes. I yes. Gotcha. Okay. And then what, what happened? Did you hold on to them and sell them? Do you still have them? Held, held on to them, uh, sold them. Um, first, well, actually, um, those, those that were underwater, I started selling in 2016 and 2017. They had come back to anywhere from 60 to 100 more than I had paid for them. But also there was mortgage pay down over that decade, uh, which helped out a lot. So um, there was really only one of those five when I sold uh, that I actually owed money on. Um, I think it was uh, about 10K after all expenses and everything else like that. Uh, all the rest uh, after a decade of rental, renting them out and uh, paying them off. Uh, eventually made some money for me. Wow. So pretty amazing start, right? Eight years in the Marine Corps, 10 years in corporate. I assume this was part of that corporate stint. Is that right? Very much so. Yeah. And then and then you started rehabbing foreclosures. You changed locations? I stayed right there in Vegas. I uh, I couldn't leave without losing the houses and I just didn't want to you know, throw in the towel. I um, got a job with uh, a, another company, not building houses, but something slowly different, uh, supply line type stuff, nothing too interesting. But it kept me in Vegas where I could manage my own properties. 
Um, I still had some capital uh, and I said, well, you know, if I can either chug along with these or, you know, double down <laughs> to pardon the term and stuff was going for just a song. I mean, places that would rent for 1250 were going for about 90 back then. So I would, uh, I, I'd pick those up, get, get another 30 year loan and sometimes have really good terms. Like they would give me a, uh, construction, uh, or excuse me, a, um, repair allocation of maybe 10 K or more off the price, fix the places up. And I mean, you know, you guys can do the math. You buy a place for 90, rent it for 1250. Yeah. You'll make money all day. Yeah. It's like a 20% cash on cash. If you pay all cash ish, right? It was good times in 2009. <laughs> wow. So did you just try and buy as much as you could? Stupidly, I didn't. I didn't. I was still, I was, you, I, I don't know if I can really give you guys, tell you guys how battle scarred I was for going through 2008 and just being just, just totally wrecked with, oh my God. And we kind of 2009, 2010, I mean, my mindset wasn't buy all I can. It was like, oh my God, what's the next step down? You know, are we going to recover from this? Totally. I, um, I, I didn't envision the Fed doing all they did to rescue things. I didn't think stimulus would be as successful as it was. I'm glad it was. But um, no, the same mindset that made me want to uh, have very conservative loans at the time kept me from going all in uh, in 09, 2010, uh, even 2011. And I'm kind of seeing some of the same things today, which keeps me from, it keeps me doing the things I'm doing today. I just, hindsight is 2020, but uh, I don't know, man. I feel like we're on shaky. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it's so it's so much easier for me to sit here and say, oh, you go all in in 2009, right? But it, it, you're in it from 2006 to 2011, <laughs> right? You lose it. You have five homes yourself, right? I mean, totally understandable that you sit there and say, my gosh, where are we going to go from here, right? How much farther yeah. down are we going to go? Yep. So, okay. So then now, now you've moved to California and you're starting to buy these multifamily properties in Florida. So how did that come to be? You know, I kicked myself. I wish I'd really thought about apartments and multifamily prior to, um, I don't remember what the actual epiphany or uh, going into multifamily, I think around 2015 or so. I just, I was, I've always been into education. I've always loved real estate and reading and reading and, um, thinking, and there's a lot online that you can, a lot of resources hit on a couple guys uh, that gave a lot of free content, uh, a guy named Rod Cleef. And then also there's a, a, an outfit called Jake and Gino. Both have paid subscriptions and mentorship, but both also um, provide free uh, pages of info on their sites that you can look into talking about why multifamily is far superior. And, and I agreed, I read through it all. I was like, my gosh, why didn't I jump into this sooner? I mean, everything from economies of scale to, um, the fact that you're buying based on a cash flow, based on the, the net operating income versus comps like you'll find with the one to four units just just uh, woke me up. Um, that's when I started the transition. I began selling off uh, the houses when I could uh, that had made that had some money to them and then shifting that equity into uh, multifamily. North Florida specifically, I was trying to figure out where to go. Demographics look great. Employment growth looked great. People were leaving the Northeast, the Rust Belt and droves. Um, I, I thought I was going to be doing Pittsburgh and Cleveland for a while and really investigate those markets hard, but just decided I'd rather pay more for a place that I felt would have positive net growth uh, over time. So that's how I ended up both in multifamily and in North Florida. Which my gosh, it has, right? Florida over the last couple of years, crazy. Uh, agreed. So, agreed. So. agreed. Now, I think something Dave, that we got we to gotta mention here that's pretty unique to you in, in owning these properties. I mean, obviously, about as far as you can possibly be in the country, right, from where you live to where you own. But you, <laughs> you buy all these sight unseen, right? Yes. So what are you thinking? How come you're going to go down I there and look at them? <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the age of the Internet. I'm going to be uh, – I can, I can get a walk through via FaceTime, 
I can, I'm going to hire an inspector before I buy anything to go through it, um, you know, raft or the floorboard to, to let me know the, the case of things. Um, I have three different ways to verify the cash flows that the sellers representing to me are accurate. Uh, I have a ton of online resources where I can, you know, make sure I like the neighborhood, make sure I like this, make sure I like that before buying. It, it, it really isn't quite that scary. Um, for some reason, I wasn't, I wasn't too concerned about it, having done all the due diligence I did. Um, and then also finding a great broker, uh, someone who you trust is a, a huge part of that. Um, shout out to Bo Berry in uh, Gainesville. <laughs> so how'd you find your broker? How'd you find him? You know, I was spending about a year trying to uh, meet people, talk to people, um, go to LoopNet, um, find uh, the top five listing brokers in areas, reach out to them and chat. It's a tough mar- It's a tough place to break into if you don't have uh, a property to your name. A lot of people won't take you seriously or take the time. I actually don't know how I ended up on Bo's mailing list, but uh, he uh, sent me uh, an email, just a, a marketing email. One time I replied back with my thoughts on the market and uh, how I was willing to be patient and da, da, da. He came right back and said, hey, look, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I just found this one unit or the, rather the 16 unit. Um, it might be what you're interested in and kicked it over to me. 16 unit in Tallahassee for uh, it was listed for 680. Numbers looked good. I'd seen so many BS pro formas. I mean, listing agents, you know, they, they try to make the seller selling property look as best they can. Some of them they look that you can tell their their lies. Some are just exaggerations. Others are accurate. This, this one, just looking at the numbers, I could tell it was accurate. Um, it's hard to quantify how that is totally, but uh, after you look at about 100, 200, you start feeling for what is legit and what isn't email back. I was interested and uh, we were in contract within a few days and that started the ball rolling. So 680,000 divided by 16 units, about 42.5 a unit. It, what, what class is a C? I'd call it a C. Yeah, I'd call it a C, maybe, maybe even C plus, but uh, yeah. And, and you try and take it to a B or you kind of just cash flow it at a C, C plus? The, um, the units were under rented. They were currently at about 625, 600 average when the uh, seller was selling it. Thanks to Bo's counsel and then uh, some of my own thoughts, I realized I could do some flooring, do some granite. Um, market rents were at about 700 at a washer dryer. And people, it's amazing, people will pay another 50 bucks a month for a washer dryer. They had washer dryer hookups. So I had, uh, uh, I, I, by investing about, let me think again really quick, about 5K per unit, I could um, raise rents to about 750. And currently, uh, rents are averaging about seven ninety at that at that complex. But yeah, it was a very good per unit cost, um, and then it looked like with some uh, some small investments, I could get the rents up to where they needed to be. It was wow. a value add, if you will. Yeah, good for you. And then, do you, what's your strategy? Do you refinance out of these multifamily properties, or do you just kind of keep it with low leverage and cash flow? It? That particular one, I did refi out of. I was currently I was on a fifteen year when I bought it at a local lender. Uh, refied out with Freddie Mac small balance um, about mm-hmm. a year and a half later, uh, and this was this was one of my uh, this was a big win. Um, the uh, appraisal at that point was about uh, 1.15. I refied at 7.91, so I got all my original money out. Um, so right now I have zero invested in the property, and cash flow is about eh, we'll call it conservatively 3.5k a month. Wow, that's amazing. I was going to say Freddie has a minimum, don't they, on on either what loan amount or value, right? Isn't it? If seven fifty loan balance, yeah. They oh, so you were, you were right there by forty one k. Wow, good for you. These other multifamily properties you have is has it been as positive of an experience for you? 
This has been the winner. Um, they've all been positive. They're all doing good. But this this was definitely my first one was a home run, in my opinion, uh, for the size of it. The others have all been good in their own way. But uh, this was um, uh, this was the biggest value add. The others one. Uh, this was the best value. add. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. So, David, you've, you've built up this great net worth. You've had all the ups and downs of the real estate. Where do you go from here? <sighs> Where do I go? My goal is um, is cash flow, not so much net worth. Um, it was actually I was I was for a commercial loan. I was calculating net worth one time, and I was like, "Holy crap! I'm worth 1.6." <laughs> I hadn't really it never even occurred to me to check it. I was really just focused on monthly cash flow. So when I can get to 20k a month coming in, which would be a little more than double where I'm at now, um, reliably understanding that things slingshot. Then it'll be time for a change, I think. Um, I love my job. I love what I do. I've got no real urge to leave just yet. So for right now, I'm 42 years old. I, I intend to be at the job for about eight more years. Hopefully the pension is still there for me. Math says it won't be, but we'll see. And then uh, as far as the real estate, I think I'd like to uh, trade up some of the properties, the uh, heavy lifting rehab I've got going on in Daytona right now. I'd like to, I'd like to sell that once it's finished up. And move into nicer properties where I don't need to worry so much about whether the rent checks will be there. So let's say that's a goal. 20K a month coming in with uh, B minus assets or better. Happy family life. Happy kids. <laughs> How long do you think it'll take you to get there? It all depends. Um, right now, I'm very cash poor, I would say. I got cash flow coming in, but uh, I'm spending a lot on that uh, rehab I told you about in Daytona. My real hope is that if the gold-silver ratio goes back to where it's supposed to be, my hope is to trade the metal for uh, a, a rather large building in the future. So it really all depends on the market. I thought it would occur a lot sooner than it had than, than now. It all it really all depends on what's going to happen with the current uh, environment we're in. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, and most of what I've done in the last decade is trying to put some kind of insert certainty slash insurance behind me. Yeah, no clear answer on that, man. I'm just trying to uh, stay above board right now. No, I totally, totally hear you. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of elements that, that go into and factors that go into getting there, right? So it's, it's hard to technically predict, but I was just curious if you thought that maybe you'd get there in five or 10 years or 15 or whatever it might take. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, let me be more clear for you. Um, I think within five years, absolutely, I can uh, double what I got. It's, okay. uh, it's all about finding the right, I mean, with regard, the, the uh, property I have in Tallahassee is 16 unit. I mean, shoot, you find two more of those and uh, I'm just about there. Or even better, I find some investor money. I, this is all me. I don't really want to take on a bunch of investors. There's all these guys nowadays who – syndicators who you know, bring in 20, 40, 50 people. It's not really my interest. I like to keep it all, all me and me to be the primary decision maker. So that does kind of limit my growth. I would say within five years without, within, without any issue, um, I'll be where I want to be uh, based on the fact that the last three have been so successful. Um, but you know what? I, I, uh, I reapprise that goal weekly. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And, and that was kind of my next question. So no partners at all to do this and no, no, uh, syndication or anything. Not for me. I, uh, I don't think I have the mindset and I definitely don't want to, I don't mind risking my money with property sight unseen or trying this or doing that. Um, taking on other people's money to me is a very, 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 significant responsibility and one that uh, at this point I'm not really interested in embracing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it adds a totally different element to it, right? 
and, and decision making being the, the number one thing that you give up, right? If, if you if you invest in a syndication. Yeah. I mean, that being said, if um, if things go south and we have a, a rough couple of years and cap rates, which are so compressed, capitalization rates, which are so compressed right now, pop back up to, you know, the, the mean they've been throughout the years. I might be more willing to revisit that, you know, but uh, there's so many people buying stuff at 4.5 cap thinking they're going to exit at 3.5. And I just, I just don't want to play that game. Um, it goes back to, I mean, I remember the exuberance of 2007, 2006 in Vegas, and uh, I just don't want to play with fire. You know, things can, uh, things can overwhelm you very, overwhelm you very quickly. Yeah. Total tangent here. Just by we're, we're talking, I went to this uh, compare silver prices.com. Mm-hmm. And they got a thing at the top. Well, I clicked on it, JM Bullion. Maybe that's an, a, a seller or whatever. But they say, due to extreme order volumes, please expect shipping delays of 15 plus business days. Yep. So, JM's a good company. Um, so there you go. Everybody's everybody's going to buy silver now that the markets are down. The fun thing is, um, it, when you look at the premiums, I mean, the uh, price a few day, a few weeks ago was, uh, I think, about 17, 17, 5. It's been beaten down to 12. But you're still going to pay about seventeen five an ounce based on the premiums and the the low supply. There's always in in the community, the the precious metal investing community. There's always talk about paper manipulation and the paper versus the physical. You know, I mean, the physical market is so small compared to the paper market of billions and billions of dollars out there. It's uh, it's a it's a it's a sore spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Dave, you seem like a, a big real estate guy. Has it always been this way? No, I didn't discover real estate until, God, I was in the Marine Corps. I was in Atlantic City for a weekend with some friends. We were playing blackjack, didn't know what the heck we were doing, having a great time. Lady sits down next to me, and uh, I'm playing the little red $5 chips, and she's dropping greens and blacks. And, of course, she's my hero. I'm like, wow, look at you. (laughs) We get to talking a little bit. And while she was there, her uh, husband came up next to her and was like, hey, some guy just – he said he needed to make $1,000 for his mortgage. So he put $500 on uh, black at roulette and lost she goes, oh, we should go. Uh, we should go make an offer on his house. And I'm like, whoa, you can do that. But me and she and I start talking, and she's like, yeah, we invest in real estate, you know. And at that time, my my knowledge was so light, I I just understood that she bought places cheap and made money off them. But that day, uh, rather that after that weekend, I went and ordered a book, started reading, started educating, and then when I got out of the Marine Corps in 2004, got to Vegas and uh, started trying to implement what I had learned or what I thought I'd learned. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, man, when I asked that question, that is not the direction of the answer I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> so, got, yeah, all, all good things happen around a blackjack table or a bar. <laughs> yeah. So you have uh, you married any kids? I am. I'm married. Um, met my wife in Vegas and uh, three beautiful daughters, seven, five and two. Yeah, they are the best thing on earth. It, uh, I often tell people, I mean, we, we, we talk among friends, everybody's trying to do their thing. And I, I tell people, man, family, health, wealth in that order. And uh, I try to make sure that's in my mind. I mean, I've, I've been broke right now. I'm doing pretty good. That could change in five years. But uh, as long as I got the first two, I'll be OK. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Congrats on the success, obviously. So are you, are you, try, are you starting to teach them about money? Any interest yet? Still really lo- young, I know. Yeah, the seven-year-old is definitely not interested. Uh, I can tell my five-year-old, though, uh, will definitely want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I can see walking fourplexes with her or uh, taking her out, and she'll be very interested. She'll either do that or be a fighter pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Two-year-old, can't tell just yet. We're figuring it out. But uh, (laughs) I will try from a very young age to talk to them about um, interest, about compound interest, about saving money, and uh, try to impart some lessons. 
two of my closest friends uh, who are cops also invest in real estate. One guy, um, he's kind of my hero. He's got about 100 units. And uh, we we trade information all the time, chatting. The the other guy's got a few. He's just getting started out in uh, Indiana. But they all invest uh, at a distance. And uh, we share all kinds of information. They spend a lot of time doing option trading as well on the markets. And I, I can tell when they're having an up day or a down day. And uh, that's a pool I don't want to dip into. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you get, I mean, look, admittedly, I, I've been nervous myself and, and Jace, I think you are too, about investing in an area outside of our, our primary residence or somewhere where, you know, we can drive to it, right? At least it's four or five hours away or something. How have you gotten over that? Or how have, have other people, what, what's the best way? I, I got to say, I mean, with that particular one, it's really never been too much of a holdup. I got to ask myself, it's like, do I need to reach out and touch it to feel good? I mean, do I need to confirm it's there? Do I need to go go look at the specific instruction to make sure it's not going to fall down? I mean, I've, I've got to ask myself, what's my fear of not reaching out and touching the property that I'm going to buy? And I've asked those questions and answered them to myself. And, and in the end, come to the conclusion that, I mean, I'm going to hire the right people to look at them. Uh, I'm dealing with trusted individuals. My property management company in Tallahassee, I mean, my God, we're like brothers. I've gone up there a couple of times. We've we've drank plenty of beers together. We, uh, we really see eye to eye. So... Um, when my broker brings me something in tally, I can ask them their opinion and know I'm going to get the unequivocal truth. Gainesville, again, uh, I've seen my broker a couple of times. We've hung out. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fully confident. So let me, let me, let me, let me summarize. If you have good people to double check, you're not going to, you're not going to worry too much. Uh, for me, that's been true. Uh, I've got a, uh, construction guy in Daytona I'm working with right now who I'm going to partner with probably on the next project. He and I have gotten a great relationship over the last few months. He's honest. He's a good dude. Um, I feel very confident. I think we're going to do business together in the future. Um, so it's all about finding those decent people, surrounding yourself with them, and uh, trusting their opinion, trusting their uh, their word. Yeah. So so maybe that's maybe the, the initial thing that concerns me, right, or others, or I, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Is sure. how do how do I find that property management company that I know I can trust, right? What if I have issues with them? And and I mean, it's it's word of mouth, but okay, if I'm going to go invest in a Cleveland or a Tallahassee, right, and I don't know anybody in that area, mm-hmm. how do I find that good property management company? How do I find the good banker? How do I find the good broker? Do I need repair people? Do I need a lawyer, right? Like, how do I find those people when I'm not living there? I mean, maybe I take it for granted being my job, but part of what I do is stare across, sit across the table from somebody and talk to them for hours at a time, typically about crimes. Um, but I'm interviewing, I'm looking at body language, I'm talking, I'm listening for deception. I'm trying to figure out what this person knows that they're not telling me. Maybe those skills kind of transfer over to what I'm doing here when I talk to someone on the phone or go meet them in person. Gut instinct's a big thing, you know, I mean, do, does this, I mean, and I've been wrong before. Absolutely. But um, you talk to someone, you ask them some questions, you give them some chances to say what's on their mind, and um, you, you start to develop a, a profile of them. You know, is this a person I trust? Is this person being honest with me? Is this person telling me what I want to hear? I think um, I, I've got a a guy I dealt with uh, in Daytona with sales, and uh, he said all the right things, but every time he spoke, I felt like a, a snake was crawling on my back. You know, just the feeling. I, I won't be putting doing anything with him. That requires a level of trust. And maybe I'm wrong on that, but uh, I think I'll be better off for it. So uh, I've got to say, if you want to go, say you want to find a property manager, call the top five, call the top 10 and just talk with them, interview, have some questions about uh, some what ifs, you know, give them some scenarios and see what happens. And uh, the ones that are willing to talk to you, the ones that uh, sound as though they uh, are legit, take a chance. 
And if you're wrong, you have a con- have a contract that allows you to fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much do you pay? What do they charge? I am 10% across the board. I pay uh, half a month's rent for finding a new one. And then there's some small details between uh, a couple of different property managers. Uh, one I split late fees with. Uh, another one I pay a bonus for uh, releasing. Another I don't. But uh, generally speaking, 10% and then half a month's rent for finding new tenants. And the 10% is uncollected or billed? Collected. Collected, right. Okay, yeah, gotcha. And absolutely. then if there's a if there's a legal case where someone doesn't pay and there has to be an eviction process, they, they do they handle that for you and then just charge you separately or uh they handle it entirely. We've got uh the only place I've had to do evictions actually is Tallahassee, which is great. There's a uh, a local uh, legal office who I've done some business with all my closings through there, they'll handle the evictions as well, start to finish. Uh the management company just has to file with them. It's expensive. It's about 600 bucks. But uh, luckily in Florida, part of the reason I, sh- I chose Florida, it's a very landlord friendly state. I can get totally. people out in about three weeks. Yeah. Unlike here in New York, I tell you. Yeah, um, California. <laughs> yeah. California too. Texas is a good place, right? So Dave, just looking back at your whole scenario here and this whole investing journey so far, obviously you have a lot in front of you and a lot of successes to come, but what are the couple things that maybe made you a millionaire? Was it your work ethic? Was it being able to kind of pivot when you saw an opportunity? It sounds like that. Was it being able to find these good real estate opportunities? Was it working hard? Is is there a couple things that you can point to and say, hey, that's really what's driven my success? I'm going to not say work ethic. Uh, people who know me would probably say that I work really hard. In my mind, I'm very lazy. I try to find the easiest way to get things done. It doesn't mean I don't do things, but I'm always looking for the simplest path. If there's 27 steps, I want to find a way to do it in 12 steps um, without compromising integrity or anything else like that. Absolutely. Let's, I'm going to say education. I'm going to say that uh, I felt the confidence I had to do what I did because I had read I believe, 50 books leading up to taking action. I had talked to a lot of people. I tried to make sure I knew what I was talking about. There's no there's no substitute for experience, but I would say anything you want to do, uh, whether it's a business or investing in real estate or stocks or something, know your subject inside and out and challenge your beliefs. Figure out um, who disagrees with the path you're taking and talk to those people. Find out what's wrong with what you're thinking. And, and, and if you can bolster what you what you believe in the face of, of you know their legitimate criticism, more power to you. Don't stick your head in, the, head in the sand and avoid criticisms of the path you're taking. You mentioned discussing money among cops a little while ago, and uh, the people within our department who know what me and a couple friends do uh, will jokingly call us slumlords and kind of sneer a little bit and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, it doesn't uh, it doesn't shake us or anything. It's really just uh, you know, fox and the sour grapes to some degree. Yeah, I really like what you said about finding people who disagree with you, right? I, I mentioned this in, a, in actually an interview we did earlier today too. But Ray Dalio's book Principles—I don't know if, if you heard about it—but it's a, a I know Ray book Dalio. Yeah, yeah. But in, in his, he he talks about that, right? Surrounding people, surrounding yourself with people who will disagree with you mm-hmm. and tell and kind of poke holes where you're missing something. And he said that that provides tremendous value because then you can just start listening from a different dimension, something that you haven't thought of, right? And ultimately, you'll make the final decision, but getting that input from varying sources is is can provide you tremendous benefit. So important. When I was in the Marine Corps, I'd bring in uh, the corporal or the lance corporal who was on the verge of getting out, who had nothing to lose, sit him down in front of me and say, okay, tell me what you don't like about uh, the platoon or the company. Let's hear it. And uh, I got so much valuable feedback that way just from listening to people who uh, might not be uh, 100% thrilled with uh, everything I was doing. 
Sure, sure. So just some rapid fire questions here, Dave, to close. Uh, what's been the most expensive car you've ever purchased? <laughs> you know, I, I always bought used cars until I got married. My wife insists on uh, nicer cars. So uh, that would be our Honda Pilot. And that was 32 k Okay. Uh, what about most expensive meal out that you've paid for personally? Mm. Probably low 200s. I think it would be uh, at Fleming's Steakhouse, low 200s. Okay. Uh, on your In your life journey, what was worth the money as you were on this path? Was it cars, good vacations, experiences, et cetera? What was worth the money? My automatic pool cleaner, that was worth the money. I dropped that baby <laughs> in, plugged it in, and that pool was clean in three hours. Cost me 550 and the wife was like, no way. And it has paid for itself every day. I love that thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have you ever used a financial advisor? I never have. I never have. And I, uh, I really should, but I got a little bit of a bias towards financial advisors. Mm -hmm. Okay. How old were you when you became a millionaire? Well, you know, I didn't realize I was a millionaire until I was worth about 1.6. And that was about two years ago. So let's just say 40 minus a year. We'll say 39 safely. Okay. That's young. Good for you. Uh, as much as you're comfortable sharing here, your range of household income through your work in life. Range. Um, God, when I first started making money, I was making about 32K a year. Um, last year, uh, I netted just over 200. Excuse me, okay. netted. Uh, last year, my uh, W-2 income was just over 200. Gross. Gotcha. Okay. And then household spending. What do you guys spend a year? Uh, you know, what we do is I don't keep a budget. I always uh, subscribe to the pay myself first kind of philosophy where mm -hmm. uh, I take a certain amount out and I don't really track spending. I'll tell you that uh, of my take home, I make sure I put 20K or it's rather 20K, <laughs> I wish, 20% uh, <laughs> uh, away and then we spend all the rest. So the math on that would indicate uh, assuming no taxes, spending of 160, let's just say uh, of all my spendable income, we spend 80% of it, we save 20. Okay. And then does your wife work or she stay at home? She's a homemaker. She teaches some classes at the local fitness club. Uh, but only about five hours a week just to get out of the house. Okay, gotcha. And then any books or tech tools or websites, anything that's been beneficial to you, anything that you can recommend? The Richest Man in Babylon is my favorite uh, finance book. I like Kiyosaki, some of his earlier stuff. Um, I've never subscribed to like the Think and Grow Rich or the mindset stuff. I always prefer the nuts and bolts kind of things when it comes to uh, reading. Yeah, for me, both uh, The Richest Man in Babylon and maybe The One Minute Manager, uh, both are books that I always revisit and go back to. Okay. And then did you have any debt at all in your life? I have tons. Of, I have a ton of mortgage debt, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess that. Yeah. I'm thinking student <laughs> no, loans or cars or... Um, yeah, car debt. I've had some of that in the past. Uh, student loans, never. I was fortunate enough. Uh, mom took care of it. It was a state school, though, so it wasn't too, too bad. Credit card debt, yeah, I don't carry a balance. I use cash back cards and pay them off every month. Yeah, no significant debt beyond mortgage debt. Okay, and then the one piece here of your story, Dave, that we're not really talking about is your pension, right? Correct. What, what's that, just real quick here, how much can you expect to get from that? Uh, assuming it's all good, at, I get uh, the term in uh, California is three at 50, 3% 3 for every year you work, uh, pay it out at 50 years. So if I leave at 50, it'll be about 45% of my net pay. I'm anticipating about 80K a year uh, coming off that pension starting at age 50. So 3% a year for your highest salary? Is that how that works? Um, meaning uh, every average. year I work. So let's just say I if I worked for 10 years, I could expect 30% uh, 
of my highest salary, I'll put in about 15 to 16 years by the time I retire at 50, uh, indicating 45 or 48 percent. So 80 is just a rough a rough estimate based on where I expect my salary to be at that point. Um, And you get that for how long? The rest of your life? Rest of your life. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you could live off of that, man. You certainly could. You certainly could. But, uh, you know, we've alluded to this earlier, man. Math indicates that uh, any listener is interested, Google pension debt bomb and just read. Just read. Yeah. Well, if it, if it doesn't bomb, we'll have you back on when you're worth $5 million. How about that? <laughs> I'll revisit it. Honestly, man, I, all these things I've said, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> because life's a lot easier when, when crazy stuff's not happening, as we all see right now. Yeah. So just in closing here, Dave, anything we didn't touch on, any you know advice you would give to somebody who's maybe starting their career as a police officer or something in the public sector or any mistakes that you've made that you would avoid against? You know, man, millionaire advice and cop advice are two very different things. Um, for cop advice, train hard, stay fit, um, be nice to everybody but you meet, but have a plan to arrest them. Millionaire advice, read, 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 talk to people and challenge your beliefs. And uh, honestly, as your show shows, there's a whole lot of different paths that people take. Part of the reason I love it, don't restrict yourself you know understand there's there's multiple multiple ways to go i mean uh honestly i look up to small business owners i'm like how do you guys do it <laughs> but uh, that's a really good path to make money too assuming your business is successful always impressed with those guys yeah awesome well hey thanks dave thanks for coming on really appreciate it thanks for sharing your story and being so open with it so again everybody that's dave net worth of over 2 million 2.2 ish to be exact thanks for coming on tonight my pleasure guys thanks for having me thanks david Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.